Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Uh, in our series, Two Steps Backward, today I want to talk very specifically about overcoming failure. Okay? Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says there, they're going to bring that slide up with a scripture, hopefully, uh, for the righteous falls seven times. If you're righteous here today, not because of your own actions, but righteous because of Christ's actions, you've asked Christ into your life, his righteousness becomes yours, you qualify for this scripture, for the righteous. Who here is righteous because of Christ? Let me hear it. Let me see your hands. Participate with me. You're righteous. Amen. But it goes on to say that though for the righteous fall seven times. Anybody you've fallen? I'm not talking about, I want, I want to make this clear. Today's message is not about moral failure. That's a different message. And there's a way to overcome that two steps back, backwards. But I want to speak to you today specifically about overcoming this, this falling, this stumbling. When things don't work. When a plan fails. When something breaks. When something falls apart, something gets shut down. Though the righteous falls seven times, what happens? He rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. And so I want to pray specifically over you. Again, I'm talking about that practical failures that we all experience. And sometimes they happen, let's be honest, very publicly. I know mine happens very publicly often. But I want to challenge you to navigate forward in a way that turns your failure into positive instead of a negative. So hand over your heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your good people. They are the righteous. Or they're becoming the righteous. They're discovering Jesus and putting on his righteousness like a coat. But Lord, that doesn't stop us from stumbling. But there is a plan in the stumble. When we get pushed two steps backwards, I pray that you will help us to overcome failure. And God, I pray you will touch your people. You will help them to properly put this on, a, on the right shelf of life position it in a way that allows them to move forward and not get stuck. And so I pray for your touch to communicate this, for hearts to receive, here and at home. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand and you can grab your seat. And thank you guys, tech team. You guys take the blame for so many things that are probably not your fault. But hey, we all love to blame people, don't we? That's part of my message today. Anyways, um, I don't know what your top fear is, but if you were to go on the internet and take a look at the top 10 fears of especially Americans, because we have exclusively these very odd types of fears, not in any specific order, and just cheer out when this fear is your fear or someone next to you that you know. Uh, there's the fear, there's arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Anybody? You're, I just said spider. Uh, I could tell you some stories there. How about aphidophobia, the fear of snakes? Anybody? <laughs> aphidophobia, fear of snakes. You're supposed to cheer if this is your fear. I don't like snakes. Is that, you know, like a, I ain't cheering for that. I'm afraid if I cheer for it, what am I? Come on. Okay. Uh, acrophobia, the fear of heights. Agoraphobia, the fear of situations which, which escape is difficult. In other words, your fear of like close places, you might not be able to get out. I might get trapped here. You're looking around the room thinking, how can I get out of, where are the doors? How about uh, sinophobia, the fear of dogs? None of you? Okay. 
astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. I love thunder and lightning. Trypanophobia. <laughs> I can't even say it because this one's mine. Uh, trypanophobia, the fear of injections. That's a real fear. I swear to you that I, I, in my mind, going into the doctor, if I have to get a shot, I can hear the sound of the needle penetrate the skin, and it sounds like fingernails across a chalkboard. The, the needle ripping through a flesh. Someone's like, Pastor Steve, you don't have any tattoos. Like, why don't you have any tattoos? Number one, because I can't decide what I'd want to put on my body permanently that I won't change my mind about later. Okay, that's number one. Because if I'm 18, I probably would have put Pittsburgh Steelers across my chest. Yeah, <laughs> and things have changed. And, uh, and, and the fact that it is ultimately about a million in, uh, stabbings with a small needle. That's the big deal breaker for me, okay? Uh, social phobias, there's all sorts of them. Anybody have one of those? How about paternophobia? I should have practiced the pronunciation of this. The fear of flying. There's a few of you. Yeah, I've, some of you have experienced that. Misophobia, the fear of germs or dirt. Anybody? Uh, <laughs> that's a couple of you. All right. But, you know, I think that one of the greatest fears that most people have, this applies especially to men, but it's not uncommon to women, is actually the fear of failure. This idea that if I were to fail in front of people and they were to see it, that they would think less of me, it would define me, I would be stuck, I would be branded, it's bigger than a tattoo. And so the idea of uh, of failing keeps some people from even trying, and one failure puts them in a position to never, ever, ever do that again. But as we read early on, uh, the righteous will do what? They will fail. They'll stumble. Stumble is not, it's not winning, okay? Stumbling is a moment of, of being tripped up, and that is going to impact our life. Point number one, real life includes moments of Go back, Dave. Real life, um, real life includes moments of failure. That's real life. Real Christian life includes moments of failure. Now, key word in what I'm saying here, moments. Moments of failure. That's a key understanding. A tripping, a stumbling is a moment in a journey of absolutely walking. Don't allow a moment to turn into the storyline or the title of your life. And that's what happens to some people in the process of, of having a moment of failure, of tripping, of experiencing something that's challenging. They actually buckle down and lock down, and it turns into an entire chapter or a decade or the thing that they carry around for the rest of their life. But when you read through the scripture, some of the greatest people of faith had some of the craziest moments of what appeared to be failure at that moment. When you really look at the life of Paul the Apostle out of the book of Acts, um, he had first sermons, and after his very first sermon, people in the city began to riot, and he had to be ushered out of the city through a basket down the wall. I don't know about you, but if I'm just starting off my ministry preaching, and that's how the city responds, I mean, I, you dream in your mind that all these people get saved, and they lift you up, and they carry you around the city, and, you know, or maybe you don't dream about that, but like that you did really, really well. People are like watching it on YouTube. Like they, they come to you, and they say, that was amazing, but that wasn't the case of Paul's first preaching experience. Now, we actually have the account here in Acts chapter 13 of his first missionary journey. And I've seen some amazing uh, accounts, modern day, of people who are 
on a missionary journey. There was one of um, uh, a family that I, I love this story is 30 years old, but they went to Papua New Guinea. And the husband and wife, their entire family, injected themselves into a tribal people who had very little, very little uh, basic technology. And they began to share the story of the Bible, always pointing out the themes that would draw the attention to Jesus. And as they gathered twice a day, the uh, people watching became really intrigued to sense a hero is coming. And so about month nine, when they got to the spot of where Jesus was now facing uh, Pontius Pilate, they had this sense that, that, that Jesus was going to rise up and strike down the Roman government because they expected a hero. And yet when it was announced the day that Christ was crucified, there was a moment for everybody. They were disappointed. I saw live footage of this tribal people walking around, dragging their, their bare feet through the dirt, despondent because they experienced a moment of what appeared to be failure. Paul, on his first missionary journey here in this portion of Scripture, after he starts getting off to a great start, believe it or not, there were enemies to what he was doing. And so it says they're devout women of high standing. It's kind of like Facebook. You start doing something good, and somebody rallies, the competition rallies a bunch of Google reviews that says your business is pure trash. And next thing you know, there's this false advertising about something you haven't done that's very difficult to overcome. Paul experienced much of cancel culture in the times of the Bible. And the Bible says he stirred up persecution, drove them out of their district. I mean, ultimately, he was kicked out of his first missionary experience. Going back to that tribe in Papua New Guinea, the next day when they announced, told the story of the resurrection, there was a woman who stood forward. It was the chief's wife. And she said the words, and I watched this. This was live video footage. She said, Itau. And Itau in their language means, I believe. And she said, Itau. And she began to work the circle in the entire group of her tribe, hundreds of people. Itau. Itau. And all of a sudden, the king stood forward. He said, Itau. He's saying, I believe. And I'm telling you what, it was like a bolt of lightning hit this tribal people. And they began to, I don't even know if they know what a mosh pit is, but the whole group began to jump up and down, screaming and cheering for an hour. And they took the missionary, put him on their shoulders, and passed him around the crowd. I believe. And what's amazing is Paul had a completely different experience. And yet he's Paul the apostle. His, uh, his moment seemed to be a moment of failure. And so many other things that he experienced. Sometimes even in the Christian life, some of the things that we shoot to do don't work out. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. You got to get okay with this. And we got to stop looking at this as a stigma because when you fail, I don't, it doesn't define you. And it doesn't define me, although the enemy would tell all of us that it does, right? You know, Colonel Sanders, or his name's Harlan, I just gave away who he actually is, was a man who tried to start several companies but was fired from a number of jobs. While he was in his 40s, he started a cafe on a major highway, and the government built a new highway that rerouted customers, and he went bankrupt in that endeavor. And yet when he was 65 years old, he went around to restaurants offering to cook their chicken and to sell his recipe. And in the process, 12 years later, at the age of 77, Colonel Sanders, who had 
had a lifetime of failures, owned 600 franchises, selling his trademark chicken, and he sold his company for $2 million. Sometimes failure is just determining what won't work so that you can discover what will work. You know, in your Christian, you got to hear this, in your Christian walk, is we've got it in our minds as believers that somehow Christians don't fail. I'm not talking about the moral failure. We know we shouldn't do that. But again, the actual attempt to try to do something, a Christian who loves God will never fail. And I want to tell you, eh, that is incorrect as you look at Scripture. It's a moment of failure. You're going to run for election, and you're going to lose. You're going to, this is great. Is this, is this encouraging for all of you? You're going to start a business, and you're going to have to close it down. You're going to commit an error that loses the game for the entire team. You're going to make an investment, and you are going to get toasted and lose your shirt. You're going to try out for the team and not make the cut, even as a believer. You've got to understand this. Failure is not necessarily a measurement of your faith. Faith applies to certain endeavors, but not all endeavors, because if God didn't say to do something, but you struck, you struck a good adventure and it fails, that's not on God. It's not an issue of faith. There are so many other things that can come into the factors of why something didn't work out. A failure is never an indicator of God's love or desire to prosper your life. I'm going to say that again. It, failure is never an indicator of God's love or desire to prosper your life. So if you're at the two steps backwards, maybe you've been there for a while. Maybe it was a relationship failure. Maybe it was a business failure. Maybe it was like the first time I ever spoke at a youth revival. It was no revival going on from my speaking. I did it with another guy, and they loved him, and I... I thought they were going to love me. They didn't like me at all. I ended up sitting in the corner by the end of the weekend just contemplating why am I even involved with preaching. <laughs> I appreciate that. I got a little, I got a, I got a sympathy. Aw. I owe you 10 bucks. Okay, so there's a lot of reasons why some things can go, go bad. So let me give you this next point. Try to discover the why failure, of, the why of failure, if possible, and move forward. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest. It's not always possible to figure out why something didn't work. It might even take you 10 years to figure out why it didn't work. I've, that's my experience. Try to figure out what, it is, what caused the failure and learn and move forward. You know, there's some great verses, uh, Proverbs chapter 19. I'll read that in just a second. But never waste a good failure. Discover the why if possible. And just remember that sometimes there is no reason. It can be completely random. You could start a car parts business in Detroit, and one week it would have been booming, and then back in the turn of our, our, our country's infrastructure in the car business, the very next week you were a failure. 2007, you owned a house one day, and you were wealthy, and if you kept that house and, and bought, you know, you, you, you bought the house the next day, you were a complete failure. Sometimes that's just how things work. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 says, listen to advice and accept instruction. And I try to get advice and instruction before an endeavor, but many of the times the more valuable advice is after the failure. I find that when I ask people's advice because of who I am, they don't often give me their true opinion because they, they feel like and this could happen to you as well because they don't want to rain on your parade. They're excited for you, so they withhold some wisdom that would really apply. But 
after the fact, you'll have somebody say, well, you know, I didn't really want to tell you, but I felt like that wasn't a good idea. Don't you hate when somebody does that to you? I could have told you that wasn't going to work out. I asked you. <laughs> Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice, accept instruction that you may gain wisdom for what? The future. I love that. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14, the wise lay up knowledge. I always get wisdom. Always get knowledge. If you get involved with an endeavor, go find somebody who's already been successful. Pull that in. If you're, you're thinking about um, how to start a business, talk to a business owner in the same field. If you're thinking about making an investment, a purchase, ask people who know, who you admire, who you admire not just because of their natural accomplishments, but also their spiritual accomplishments, and pull that information in. It'll make you the wiser. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Um, plants could fail for many reasons. Wrong method. You know, you could have the right idea, just the wrong method. And you need to figure out there's a better method. Your heart, do you know that your heart can be completely right, but the way you're doing something is actually destroying the outcome you're fighting for? That happens in business. That happens in ministry sometimes. That it's not your heart's not the issue. It's not what you want to accomplish, but it's the way you're going about doing the thing you set out to do. Wrong method. Maybe it's just wrong timing. How about the wrong team? All your friends shouldn't maybe be on your team. You actually might want to stack the deck, not just people who like you, but people who bring something to the table with their skill set. Yeah. Don't go to business just somebody who, because they're your friends, you'll find out that you have the wrong team. Or maybe there's just a lack of resources and you needed to wait till you gathered some more. Point number three. Hopefully this, hopefully this is helpful, just really practical stuff this morning. Uh, point number three. Uh, refuse the common hitchhikers that failure wants to pick up. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something that happens to me in that moment of failure. It's like shock. And the moment the failure begins to kick in, we're, we begin to go through a process uh, dealing, working through our shock. Um, this is the time of year. I, I love this time of year. You get up in the morning, it's crisp, it's cold outside, and you got to throw on a coat. Throw on a jacket, throw on a sweater. In the evening times, sometimes I'll, I'll get up really early, work hard through the morning into the early afternoon so that I get out in the yard and do a few things. And it's hot, the hottest point of the day, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm sweating. I got my T-shirt on. But as the sun begins to go down, you start to hit about 7, 7.30. And it gets a little bit brisk out. gets a little bit cold. And I've got this one sweatshirt. It's my go-to sweatshirt for that moment. I've got a bunch of sweatshirts. But this one's got like fake wool on the inside. It's got a zipper. It fits right. It's just, it's, it's my go-to covering. It's, it's a jacket that I like to put on for that circumstance. And there are a couple of jackets that failure wants to put on that are not good for you. I've experienced them. I've fought through them. I've put some of these on and had to tear them off. Because again, failure is common to even believers, and it is just a moment, Okay. One of the key things that you could do, what the coat I'd say put on is the coat of ownership. Throw on the coat. Let your go-to your go coat be, hey, I blew it. I messed up. I failed. This is a wonderful declaration. Because all the other coats I'm going to mention, they don't allow you to move forward. The coat of owning it allows you to wear it and move forward. The other ones have a cord tethered to the ground that you have to try to rip out. You put on these other coats the other hitchhikers that failure wants to pick up, and you'll find yourself stuck. The coat of blame. 
You ever see a kid strike out and he's blaming the umpire, blaming their son was in my eyes. Little side note, as a kid, I, I got this great strategy. I played Little League Baseball, took tinfoil, the shiny side, and I put it around my teeth. Way before the gangster grills, I was ahead of my time, okay? I put tinfoil on my teeth because I had convinced my teammates that get the right angle with the sun and you can blind the batter. <laughs> I go to this church, why? <laughs> okay. Um, but... but People, when they strike out, they have that moment where they want to blame somebody. Why did my business fail? Why did this endeavor fail? Why did, I, why did my preaching fail that day? Well, you know, they're just not on fire for God like they should be. No, maybe your sermon was garbage. It can happen. I've delivered a few of those. Hopefully this is not one of those, okay? And then the, uh, the coat uh, uh, blaming others, that is a heavy coat that you'll put on and will keep you camped out for a long time. You know, one of the things about failure is we would love to move past failure quickly, so it's just a moment. But when you put on the coat of blaming others or blaming anything, you actually carry that failure for a much longer period of time. And instead of distancing yourself from your failure, you actually accompany it every place that you go. So don't put on that coat of blame. Just take ownership. Just say, I blew it. I failed. I, I, I thought it was a good idea. Clearly, it wasn't. I thought I had all of the tools necessary. I forgot some. I forgot some. Not my wife, not my husband, not my kids. Well, if, if it weren't for my coworkers, listen, there's no excuse. Let's just own it when we personally fail. Um, blame turns into the code of bitterness, and so that turns into a, a chapter, maybe an entire decades of your story. It becomes a title of your book. That bitterness, when it sets in that it didn't work out, and you're now not blaming yourself, you're blaming other people. Now you got to walk around still irritated at all of those people who you are saying are to blame, and keeps you connected to them forever. How about the the uh, the coat of shame? It's embarrassment. It's actually a form of pride. I don't want to be seen as a failure. Why? Because my ego will not stand for that. There are some people, and this is one of the greatest qualities. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I have this, but I know some people who do. So quick to own their failure and just embrace it and be transparent and maybe throw, have some fun with it, throw themselves under the bus a little bit. Not overly so, but to just say, man, I really blew that. I tried to do that, and that didn't work out at all. It's a person who says they're going to, I'm going to get a new career, and they launch out into the new career, and three months into Working at that job, they actually have the confidence to walk away from it. It wasn't what they thought it was. So many people say trapped in a bad experience like that, a business relationship, because ultimately it's more the pride. I, what will people think if I said it was the greatest thing ever and then I quit? So shame. Don't allow that to come on to you. Also, don't allow the coat of fear of future failure come upon you. Make sure that when you fail, you don't allow that to become the guardrail of what you're willing to try in the future. Otherwise, you would have never learned to walk. You would have never learned to use the potty. You know, you would have you'd never learned how to do the thing that you're actually good at now. How many of you, you failed your way into accomplishment and success, right? Okay, let me give you the final point. And uh, the final point is just simply this. Believe God for another opportunity if you're stuck two steps back. 
I think that's for some reason we're wired to think, especially in the church. I know early on I was this way, like that God has a blessing. And if I'm in the right time, in the right place and paying attention and I catch it well and do everything perfectly, then this thing's going to work out. But if I screw it up, I'll never get another chance. I was kind of wired that way that oh, you better protect that blessing because, you know, and, and I, I got to thinking about how that, that, that leads us to believe that God is not the author of the opportunity. We see the author of opportunity as being chance or somehow the universe. This will never come around again. I'll never have this opportunity again. Those words absolutely limit God. God is able to give you a second opportunity. If you posture yourself correctly, if you don't put on a coat of shame, if you don't put on the coat of blame, because God, God's not going to give you another opportunity if you're running around blaming everybody. But God will give you another opportunity if you're leaning forward saying, I'm going to believe God that he's going to give me a fresh new opportunity. That validates the fact that opportunities are from the Lord. And the first opportunity that you had that you blew, he really wants you to experience, though, the thing that that represented so he will give you another opportunity. Your mind's probably not wired that way, but man, what a revelation for me about 10 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago. I felt like I had blown a blessing that God had given me, and I was like, I'll never get that chance again, and then it struck me. You know, um, Steve was a little bit younger. Well, he was younger at that time because it was 10 years ago, and he was really getting into playing the guitar, and, and I, uh, an imaginary story about him came across my mind that I've gone out and I've bought him this beautiful new acoustic guitar and I've given it to him and he's left it in his car because he's young. You know, kids today, they're all irresponsible. <laughs> Not him, but in my mind, this story is playing out. That he leaves this acoustic guitar in the back seat of his car on a hot, sunny day. Car gets really hot. He brings his guitar in. The whole face of it is cracked and is unusable. That could happen in a car with an acoustic guitar. And then I began to picture myself telling my son, how come you did that? Aren't, why are you? I, <laughs> I can't believe how irresponsible you are. I gave you this opportunity. I put all that money into this. You're never going to play guitar. You're never going to have another opportunity. I thought to myself, but a good father would say, wow. You learned something from that? Now, I may not have the money to go out and buy you as nice of a guitar, but your life represents more than just the guitar. That guitar represents your ability to minister to other people. It, 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 it mirrors, it, it, it forecasts the opportunity to someday lead people into worship. And I began to see, how does God deal with, how does God see me when I failed with my guitar? Is he going to be say that's one and done? I began to think my, if I would give my son a second chance, and I'm an earthly father who is flawed, and by the way, this is a fictitious story. Steve didn't do that. <laughs> but if I would give my son a second guitar, would my heavenly father give me a second chance? And I began to, I mean, I could hear the Rocky theme playing inside of my spiritual soul. I know my heavenly father would give me a second chance. I know my heavenly father would give me a second chance. And in that area that I felt like I had failed, I ended up, we, me and my family, we ended up buying three rental properties within the next two years because that's the area where I felt like I had failed in. Because ultimately, my failure does not stop the heart of God 
I'm still wanting the same good things for me, even though I've failed, especially when it's in the natural realm. Why don't you stand with me and let me just read this final verse to you. Worship team's going to come and we're going to go ahead and we're going to sing a final song. Proverbs, I just want to take you back to our, our very first scripture and want to just kind of share this with you again. Some of you are like, wow, you're done quick today. My gift to you. <laughs> I will drag out these last two minutes. <laughs> Proverbs, I want, re, look at this verse again. Proverbs 24, verse 16. For the righteous. I just love that it's the righteous. You are the righteousness of Christ. Christ's righteousness is on you. In that moment of failure, definitely, you don't really feel righteous, do you? You're imagining God's unhappy with you because, because, you know, we measure God's love for us when things work out. He really loves me, but if it didn't work out, he must be really upset with me, which is not the case. I mean, you can sin will impact how things turn out, but we're, we're talking about practical failure here, right? And so the righteous, I love that it starts with that. The righteous falls not just once, not just twice, not just three times, not four, five, six, seven. That's excessive. You're getting good at failure. You're, you're good at falling. But it goes on to say he rises again. You are the rise again people. You are a rise again person. You are a rise again individual. You have rise again moments where in spite of you're going to cast off from you all of the coats that you would normally put on and you are going to rise again and throw down the coat of ownership and leaning into the future opportunities that God has for you. He rises again. Say that with me. He rises again. Say it with me. I will rise again. I will rise again. I will rise again. Why? Because the heart of God is for me to prosper, to succeed, to do well. Fall down seven times, but on the eighth time, I succeed. Amen? Amen. I just want to pray. Why don't you put your hand over your heart? I'm going to pray over you. I just want to speak over you because some of you in the natural, you've tried to do, hear, hear me for a minute. Look at me in the eye just for a second. There's some of you that have actually tried some things, maybe even in ministry, and it didn't work out. You went to speak at the youth revival. You got a little full of yourself. You didn't realize it's a process of stumbling, and you got up and you know, you delivered what I call a cement turkey. Nobody could eat it. It was, had no nutritional value. There's a big lump right there. It was no good. You cannot let that stop you from pressing forward. I could ask everybody up on this platform, how did it go the very first time that you did it? Maybe the second time. Maybe the first six months. You could have an amazing voice and still struggle. There's fear. There's challenge. But you are the rise again people. Amen? You're the rise again. You will rise again. You need to hear that. Do not be pushed into a corner. Do not be pushed back in your pursuit of the God. That thing that you desired was birthed from God. And you need to fan that thing back into flame. You need to say, Oh God, God, that's, I'm not listening to the enemy anymore. That's for me. I'm going after it. I know they said no. I'm going to go after it. You got it for me. Amen.
Father, I pray over each person within the sound of my, my speaking. God, you put something within them. It's a good thing. It's from you. And they've failed. They've not been able to pull it off. I don't know all the reasons why. They'll gather that information. You'll bring a revelation. Your Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, even into business truth, even into partnership truth. It brings us into relationship truth. The Holy Spirit brings all truth to our lives. It's practical for even investing, buying a property. Holy Spirit, you can teach us, but you send other people to teach us as well. And so we're able to learn a new way. We're expecting that. But God, in order to even to step into the opportunity, we got to lean forward and believe that you have it for us. So these are your righteous people. Though they stumble seven times, they will rise again. And I speak rise again over them this morning in Jesus. I speak it over them. Rise again in Jesus' name. Rise again in Jesus' name. You heard no seven times. Yes is, yes is coming. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Let's sing the song with them. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.